0: always at my point of landing this is strange
1: hey there and welcome to marvel by the month my name is brian stratton and mine is rob milne rob my friend my boon companion my brother from another mother we have made it to the end of another season of marvel by the month three we
2: we did the turkey <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a hat trick son <laughs> i grew up very close to canada i grew up bowling so yeah uh,
2: yeah. That's, hence the turkey. Wow. Uh, yeah, this was, this was an unusual one. Yeah. Uh, we had to figure out a lot of new technical hurdles right when we thought we were getting the hang of it. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the expression? Uh, what's the old saying? Like, uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but you know, um, It was a grind, uh, but we made it through, um, and
2: I think we actually did some really good work in there. Yeah, Um, I mean, we have to give credit to having – wonderful guests to, yes. <laughs> to really help add to what we're doing. But, uh, you know, we didn't do too shabby ourselves.
1: Yeah. Well, and we had some really great comics to be talking about. Like, this is really where the Marvel Universe is starting to really hit its stride. Um, You know, we talked a lot about all the great stuff happening in Fantastic Four, but really across the board, just about every one of Marvel's titles had some really shining moments uh, in the last 13 months or so.
2: Yeah, for sure. And we got to see a lot of char- yeah, so many characters born. Yes, <laughs> from um, from the mind of Stan. <laughs> yeah,
1: Stan and and, and Jack and, and Steve and and we've got some new uh artists and writers coming on board now and yeah, it's uh it's really picking up steam. But uh you know, this may also be uh not just the high point of Earth 616 so far, but it might be the end of Earth 616. That's true. Uh, Because Galactus is a hungry boy.
2: Yeah, he's about to chomp down on this planet.
1: Yeah, and uh, I don't think we should give any spoilers away at the beginning of this episode. You know, we'll make folks uh, sit through it uh, to find out if Earth does wind up surviving. (laughs) Um, But uh, also, Galactus is actually not the biggest thing uh, about this episode, we got Clint Freakin' McElroy as a guest.
2: I know. I uh, that when you told me about this, I slapped my head, I slapped my face, I slapped my head again, <laughs> and uh And I said, what did you do? Like, I assume you just did some kind of blackmail or, you know, some move to get him on here. But it it turns out he really likes comics.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, he's (laughs) I mean, I'm a huge fan of his from the Adventure Zone, um, and he's a huge fan of Marvel Comics. um, And, you know, he's a, a comics writer. He's written some Marvel Comics himself, but he's literally a lifelong Marvel Comics fan. He was reading these issues as they were coming out. Which is just awesome. Uh, I I think, like, how cool is that to be present at the birth of the Marvel Universe and to be following along with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what we are doing, but we came in very late and had to go back to the beginning. It's like, you know, getting just 20, 30 minutes late into a movie. Yeah. uh, So now we're getting to talk to people who were there when it started. Yeah, exactly. We didn't have he didn't have to play catch
1: up like we did. Um, But, yeah, we had a great uh, chat with him about the entire coming of Galactus story, uh, especially Fantastic 450, uh, which came out in February of 1966. um, And that's the month of Marvel Comics that we're talking about. Uh, in today's episode. Uh, But before we go to our conversation with Clint, um, let's start off as we always do uh, with a little bit of historical context here. Um, So the issues that we're talking about, as I mentioned, uh, they all hit the stands in February of 1966. Here's what else was going on in the world when Clint McElroy and others were reading them. Uh, (laughs) Do you want to
2: start us off with a little bit of moon news? I sure do. I love the moon. Uh, So, on the 3rd of February 1966, the unmanned Soviet Luna 9 became the first object to make a controlled landing on the moon. It began transmitting signals four minutes later, and within 20 minutes of landing, sent back the first ground level photographs of the moon's surface. Yeah. Soviets win again.
1: Soviets are definitely uh, way out in front in the space race at this point.
0: Uh-huh.
1: On the 17th of February, The draft classification of world heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali was reclassified from 1Y, which meant that he was unfit for military service, to 1A, which means, yep, we can take you, (laughs) Um, and we will. The armed services had revised their standards for acceptance, so the champ was uh, subject to being drafted. Um, this is what wound up leading to Ali's refusal to register on religious beliefs. He would not register for the draft. He wound up being arrested for that. Um, and then he wound up being stripped of his championship. Um, wow. so that's, this is where it all starts.
2: That's an early hint of the, uh, you know, Trevor Noah's, it's not Trevor Noah's, uh, his, his speech about the social contract. Uh, I think Muhammad Ali had already got wind of, um, uh, maybe he didn't want to serve this country (laughs) yeah 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 well
1: i mean you he flat out said like the vietnamese people have done nothing to me i'm not going to go over there and kill them so yeah yeah
2: you know reasonable (laughs) seems reasonable um well on the 19th u.s senator robert f kennedy became the first member of the senate to break with president johnson in proposing the Viet Cong be allowed quote a share of power and responsibility end quote in peace talks with the united states he went on to say, there are three things you can do with such groups, kill or repress them, turn the country over to them or admit them to a share of power. Pretty reasonable. Um, Again, tons yeah. of reason going on here. <laughs> yeah.
1: Unfortunately, the 1960s were not a great era for reasonable people. Yeah. Feels very, uh, very deja vu these days. Um, here's where I get to try to pronounce a couple of Russian names, which is fun. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) You drew the the shortest straw I know, (laughs) man Uh, The 22nd of February 1966 The Soviet Union launched two dogs Veterok and Ugolyok Good enough Sounds pretty good I I mean, the accent carries it a little bit Yeah. Uh, Into orbit around the Earth On board the satellite Cosmos 110 The two dogs would remain in orbit for 22 days
2: And then safely return to Earth On March 16th I love it I love it when there is an animal that survives. That's just the best. Yeah,
1: I was not going to put any news about canine cosmonauts that ended with them
2: and then they floated off into (laughs) space
1: or burned up in the atmosphere. Yeah, ah,
2: Ham, the space chimp. Oh, Um, Ham. uh, On February 24th, 1966, Billy Zane, who played the Phantom in the 1996 movie of the same name, was born in Chicago. I both
1: forgot that there was a phantom movie uh and that there was uh an uh, actor named Billy Zane he was in the titanic right uh, yeah i mean that was like the yeah i'm look i'm not a movie guy so uh, i'm sure he's been up to some stuff and um you know he's had a wildly more successful career than i have had doing anything <laughs> um but uh it, it, remember when like movies like the phantom and the shadow that was what qualified for a big budget superhero motion picture?
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean and I remember Judge dread, with Sylvester Stallone and then being super stout about that. Yeah. Uh I I li- the law. <laughs> I I like him uh in his uh, own written movies, and then I don't like him uh ruining a comic book for me. So yeah,
1: <laughs> well, he had a lot of help from Rob Schneider in that one. That's,
2: oh God, so much wrong with that. The only thing good, I think, was Mean Machine Angel. But uh, yeah,
1: Rob Schneider was the guy who showed up with five of his friends and ruined Saturday Night Live for five <laughs> years. Ah. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh now that I've got my dig at Rob Schneider in um uh let's go ahead and just chat a little bit uh, about the uh Marvel comics that hit the stands other than Fantastic 450 which we are going to get into ridiculous levels of detail with with Clint uh, in just a little bit. Um This is the last episode of our third season Um, So let's just do a a real Quick run through touch on each Of these uh, nine issues real Quickly just so we have a sense of where We're leaving off with them so that then we can Pick up the threads
2: uh, when we start season Four all right Um, let Me jump into amazing spider-man number Thirty six This is one of steve ditko's last Spider-man issues and it features The debut of a new villain The looter (laughs) (laughs) So weirdly timely, uh, he, he gets his power from gas. He accidentally releases from a meteor. Yeah. Super compelling origin story. He, I do love his, like, he's a dumb guy who just is going to bash on something till science happens. Uh, so he's not the most compelling villain or story, but Ditko was deep into Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism at this point, And there are reflections of that all over the place.
1: Yeah. So like for example um, The name of the villain itself It comes from Atlas Shrugged Where the protagonists are producers And their adversaries are looters So there you go Uh Um, uh, And I I love Like you mentioned Ditko's looter turns to crime Because he's too lazy to work for what he thinks he deserves Like there's (laughs) a quote uh, From him in the issue They mock me because I'm too smart to work Too clever to hold down a job
2: Everyone's jealous of me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man uh and at this point stan lee and steve ditko's relationship was already on the rocks apparently they hadn't been speaking for a year at that point
1: yeah yeah uh <laughs> ditko would just turn in his finished pages to uh Saul brodsky the uh production director um yeah. and that was it like they had there's no communication between stan and steve
2: and By the time uh, the issue was published, Steve Ditko was not even working at Marvel, so yeah, this yeah. so he's basically resigned at this point. Uh, if that's the thing you can say about freelancers, um,
1: yeah, um, so uh, I'm hoping to get more into uh, that story in our next season. There's a lot to go into there, um, and uh, I Hope we can find someone who's a little bit more knowledgeable than we are about that who can shed a little light on it.
2: Yeah. I mean, Steve Ditko is one of the biggest mysteries in comics. There's yes. just so little known about him and he didn't do interviews. So uh yep. um hopefully we can help to pull some more information out for everyone.
1: Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, over in the Avengers, uh in Avengers number 27. Not much to say about this one. It's the second part of the Avengers battle against Atuma. Um, The undersea warlord Um, uh, The one shining thing about it Is that it is the last Avengers issue For a while that doesn't include Henry (laughs) Pym Um, so even though it's
2: not great, it at least has that (laughs) going for it. Oh yeah. I was, I was pretty sad to see he's, uh, he's about to come back.
1: Yeah. With another name and another costume.
2: Yeah. Um, well over in daredevil number 15, it's bad news for enforcers and fellowship of fear fans. This is the last time you'll see ox in a Marvel comic for a long time anyway he he busts out of prison with a criminal scientist named carl stragg who promises to increase ox's intelligence
1: (laughs) which he's badly
2: in need of (laughs) yeah yeah and uh, but instead he swaps brains with ox and goes on a crime spree (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah i don't even this this was such a hilariously weird issue very Um,
1: strange yeah
2: Apparently, Ox's rage is a physical part of him, and Strag winds up taking a header off of a rooftop while fighting Daredevil, and <laughs> is presumed dead. He just gets—it's sort of like a Hulk rage. He just gets dumber and dumber as he goes. Yep. Uh, he's not dead, but he—but we won't learn that until Amazing Spider-Man number ninety-four. Yeah, yeah, it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's a ways off. Um, This is also uh, one of the first
1: issues That John Romita uh, did the artwork for In Daredevil Um, He'd been on I think the last one or two issues But you know in light of the deteriorating Relationship between Stan Lee And Steve Ditko um, It's really hard not to read this as Stan Getting Romita up to speed And ready to take over for Spider-Man Since you know a lot of Daredevil's Acrobatics translate Really nicely to a certain Wall crawler Yeah And then uh, back in the 1940s in World War II in Sergeant Fury, number 29, um, this is the conclusion of a two part knockdown drag out fight between Nick Fury and Baron Strucker. Um, Strucker basically destroys an Eastern European village that is Nazi soldiers occupied. Um, but Strucker evacuates the citizens before he does it because, you know, he's a monster, uh, but he's not a madman.
2: So I don't know. He really, I mean, he, there was some murdering going on there, uh, th- through the issue of townspeople. Yeah. But
1: he, there is like an explicit break between Strucker and Hitler, uh, at this yeah. point, like he's like, okay, I'm done being a Nazi. Yeah. This
2: guy's crazy. That's yeah. what he's so. constantly thinking.
1: Yeah. Uh, Uh, Again, kind of resonant of uh, the era that we're living in these days.
2: Yeah. Over in Strange Tales, number 144, we get Nick Fury and Nick Fury's future, which is our past, but what we talk about as a present when we do this podcast. Oh, man. Thanks, Kang. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nick Fury and Shield combat the menace of the Druid and his Satan eggs, which I thought were going to be awesome. <laughs> which I, I I just assume that's
1: what you order for brunch when you go out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's I try. Uh, I think maybe Sizzle Pie Pizza here in Portland is as close as I can get with a pentagram sauce on my pizza. No Satan eggs uh, yet, but we could suggest them. Mm mm-hmm. Uh, It's also the first appearance of, by the book, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Jasper Sitwell. (laughs) He's like the accountant of S.H.I.E.L.D. (laughs) Um, And then over in the Doctor Strange
1: story in Strange Tales 144, uh, Dormammu, Strange's adversary from the Dark Dimension, he taunts the good doctor with a threat to torment the still unnamed Clea because she helped Strange defeat him. Um, As Strange goes to try to free her, Dormammu tricks a powerful sorcerer named Taza into fighting him. And, of course, Strange wins. At
2: least he's not fighting Mordo. Like, that's all. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Thank God that guy got a break. (laughs) um, Tales of Suspense number 77. We have uh, in Iron Man, the Mandarin unleashes his super huge killer robot Ultimo against Iron Man. It's like he comes out of a volcano. He starts wrecking stuff like a Japanese kaiju.
1: Yep, yep. Um, And then uh, in the Captain America story, it's a uh, World War II flashback story where we finally get to meet the woman who Cap fell in love with during the war and never learned her name. Um, And anyone who's seen any of the Captain America MCU movies can probably guess it. This is Peggy Carter. Um, And the reason they had a misconnection was because she suffered a concussion and temporary amnesia while she and Cap worked to liberate a European town from the Nazis. By the time she regained her memory, Cap was in the ice.
2: Bummer. Uh, over in Tales to Astonish number 79, the Namor story is the second part of his battle against the Puppet Master, uh, who has reverted back to his weird Uncle Fester appearance with no explanation. Yeah. Because he's, he's, he, he did appear for the wedding at Fantastic Four as sort of his normal version, and then he's now he's back to festering. Which makes me wonder
1: when the annual was drawn, when the wedding annual was drawn. Uh, yeah. It may have been done before his appearance changed for the first time.
2: Yeah. I, that's still just such a mystery. I I'd love to know if like somebody just drew another doll making character and Stan was like, I got to say, this is the puppet master somehow. (laughs) Uh, uh, anyway, after Namor escapes the puppet masters control, Krang winds up teaming up with pups to take control of a huge undersea monster known as the behemoth to menace Atlantis. So now Krang's back he's only been gone for like one issue to yeah, for like maybe. half an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he got uh run out of Atlantis and now he's coming back, uh, with a huge under undersea monster. So, yeah. uh, and then over in the Hulk story
1: in Tales to astonish 79. Uh, there's a shady military scientist named Conrad Zaxon, which is, that's a pretty solid name. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he dies after making the not very smart decision to fight the Hulk in an armored suit. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So he's not, he, he, he might be a genius in some ways, but you know, that's not transferable to common sense sometimes.
2: And I think he was, uh, he's the expert on like organic rays or something. It's just the, it's like the stuff you get in the special section at the store. We call it the hippie section, but yeah.
1: So after that gets wrapped up very quickly in that very short story, uh, the Hulk winds up having bigger problems to worry about uh, when Hercules, uh, who's on his way to California to get a job playing Hercules (laughs) in the movies, uh, he decides to bring Hulk down.
2: And if anybody's missed this already, we just uh, Hercules and the whole pantheon of Olympus has just barely been hinted at Hercules has fought Thor. Uh, Yes. And uh, in fact, He just uh, visits Thor right now. So in Thor number 127, there's a nice bit of continuity. Um, It turns out that Pluto, the Olympian god of the underworld, is the producer of the Hercules movie. And that (laughs) probably won't turn out well for Hercules. (laughs) Probably not. No. Also, uh, Cedric... The guy who Odin gave his power to because he couldn't bring himself to discipline Thor uh, decides to use that power to conquer Asgard. Oh,
1: Whoops. you mean the like really obviously evil-looking guy uh, <laughs> who we commented on how obviously evil-looking he was last episode? Y-
2: yep, it turns out he was pretty evil. So mm. uh, it doesn't go great for him, though, because Odin gets his powers back by the end of the issue. and yeah. And basically Thor just... Does the normal, like, believe in yourself and power on through kind of fight? Yeah.
1: Hey, it's it's a message for us all. <laughs>
2: uh, and
1: then finally, uh, in X-Men number 19, uh, we get the first appearance of a new ex-villain, the Mimic. He's not a mutant, uh, but he does have the power to involuntarily copy the abilities of anyone near him. So not just superpowers either. Like, if someone who's really good at baseball is near him, he's suddenly very good at baseball.
2: I don't know how that works with the sciences, but it did too. Eh. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure how magnetism worked at all in the last uh, <laughs> issue that we were talking about. So I, I, I'm not sure magnetism works on, you know, human minds and ice, but whatever. But what do you know? Be a science man. Yeah, <laughs> I either know a little bit less or a lot more. About magnetism than Stan Lee did. (laughs) But yeah, so uh, the Mimic, with his powers, he winds up accidentally discovering the secret identities of the X Men. um, And because he's a jerk, he decides to fight them and then he kidnaps Marvel Girl. The story ends with Mimic activating a machine that his father created. Uh, It was supposed to make his acquired powers permanent, uh, but his father knew that his kid was a jerk. Uh, So it actually wound up removing. His mimicry powers altogether. So of course, uh, Professor X <laughs> mind wipes him because he has no problem doing that constantly
2: at uh, this time. Yeah, um, and then just sends him on his way. The end. Man, his mind wiping is is just problematic. It's yeah. like it's, it's it makes my skin crawl sometimes. Where he's just like, "Yep, that's okay. Wipe their mind. Move yeah. along." Yeah, yeah. No, it, there's there's a lot of Professor
1: X that needs some retconning and explanation and pivoting away from.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's the issues we've, we've covered all of the other issues. The only thing left is, you know, the big
1: one, the big man himself. Um, so let's go ahead and take our first break of the episode. Um, and when we come back, man, I still can't believe I'm going to say this again. We're going to talk to Clint McElroy (laughs) about Galactus. (laughs) This is wild. Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Marvel by the Month. Hey, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. So Rob, we've been focusing on Fantastic Four uh, all season long, um, and everything has been building up to the first appearance of Galactus and the Silver Surfer um, in Fantastic Four 48 through 50. And, uh, you know, as we were kind of putting this all together, we got the idea to put out the call to a very special guest to discuss it with us. We're extremely grateful that he was able to join us today. Uh, oh, so you, you don't need me anymore. You got some... <laughs>
3: No, that's cool.
1: I can understand. Uh, a nice way to let me down. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, he, he's he's already busted his way onto the podcast. Uh, <laughs> if, if, if you uh, if you hail from Huntington, West Virginia, you probably already recognize his voice. Uh, he's the longtime co-host of WTCR FM's morning show, Judy Eaton. Uh, outside of Huntington, uh, he's best known as a writer for Now Comics, Eclipse Comics, and Marvel Comics. He's one of the four hosts of the Adventure Zone podcast uh, and. He's the father to the breakout stars of Trolls World Tour. Please welcome, Lance <laughs> McElroy, to Marvel by the Bud. <laughs> Yay! Hooray! Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, we we are absolutely delighted. Uh, so, you know, we know that uh, you know just from some of the things that you mentioned on the podcast, and obviously, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've uh, written uh, over the last few years. We know that uh, you have some history as a comics fan.
0: Oh. Um, man.
1: So uh, when did you get started uh, reading comics?
3: You know, from actually, from the time I started reading, uh, real early on, um, my uh, mom and dad introduced me to comics. So I would say like from like six or seven on, um, I can can remember the first comic I ever got my hands on, um, which was... was the uh, Superman annual number three from 61. It was the one that had all the weird incarnations of Superman, old guy, Superman, future big brain, Superman, (laughs) a lion Superman. But my favorite was the one, uh, I think they called him goofy Superman. And it was just Alfred E. Newman. And I don't know how they got away with that. Wow. Um, but it, it it really, I mean, being a comics fan really kind of kicked in for me. um, with Marvel. I mean, ironically enough, um, because I got my comics, not my mom and dad would buy me some, but every time I went to the barbershop, shop, they'd have comics. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't have the covers on them. Um, uh, but, uh, I asked them when they were done with them if I could have them. And they, you know, they gave them to me. I also asked them if they'd stop tearing the covers off. <laughs> um, and I guess they decided since they weren't going to send them back anyway, they would give them to me anyway. So, I, I have a shocking story that will that'll that'll, that'll will kill you. But I had Amazing Fantasy fifteen, Fantastic Four One, Amazing Spider-Man One, X-Men One, First Appearance of Thor, Journey into Mystery 83, First Appearance of Iron Man, Tales of Suspense, 59. Oh, man. Uh, for two years I saved my allowance went without lunch and saved my lunch money and had probably like the first 15, 20 issues of all of those. And so, uh, a few years later, probably three or four years later, I, uh, we went on vacation and a friend of mom's stayed in the house. We lived in in Daytona beach, Florida. And, uh, she thought it'd be a nice thing to clean the house while we were gone. Oh no. And throughout what today would have to be, Hundreds of
2: thousands of dollars worth of oh. comics.
0: Oh,
3: man. I know it makes you
2: want uh, to. That, that, that hurt my stomach. It literally. Oh. It felt like a gut punch. Oh.
3: Yeah, it was. <laughs> that was bad. So I almost gave yeah. up at that point. But I mean, I still I, I loved comics. I loved everything they represented, um, and you know, waxed and waned a little bit. Um, But just when I would start losing interest, something would happen. Sometimes an artist, you know, um, for me, uh, Wally Wood was my all-time favorite comic book artist. Yeah. He took over Daredevil with number five. Oh, I mean, it was was amazing to me. So,
1: yeah, so I
3: was able to survive that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, that's amazing honestly uh, I had a pretty good baseball card collection at one point and then something happened to them I think they got wet or something and you know just lost boxes and boxes I mean nothing that was particularly valuable or irreplaceable but it was just sort of like man you know I sunk all this time and money into building this collection and I don't really have it in me to start this over again but uh, yeah, talking about Wally Wood, uh, so we just covered his Daredevil run on the <sighs> podcast recently, and uh, just like, I mean, talk about a guy who elevated uh, what was, you know, a kind of, you know, tenuous character uh, at that point, but, you know, he just got in there, and he just brought this energy to it, uh, mm-hmm. and the storytelling is just incredible. The visual storytelling and um, yeah, it's, it's a character I never had a strong fondness for until like, you know, Frank Miller did his thing in the eighties, but going back and reading some of the early Wally Wood stuff is just, wow. I,
3: uh, later on, uh, my, my dad passed away when I was 10 years old and it, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm nothing but sad stories today, but they <laughs> had, had a pretty good ending. My dad passed away and my brother came in from the air force. My older brother, David, Came in from the Air Force, you know, to kind of, you know, get through the funeral and do all this other stuff. So in what my other brother, Mark, later called funeral guilt, my older brother took me to Woolworths and said, hey, you just get what you want, buddy. Get whatever you want. And there was a spinner rack and it was full of tower comics.
0: Oh, yeah. Thunder
3: Agents, Dynamo, No Man, all that stuff. So I probably, you know, broke his wallet. You know, and he said whatever I wanted, so I basically cleared out the spinner rack. And <laughs> you know that this sounds so cheesy, but that really got me through a really tough time because I, you know, I fell in love. You know, I had Wally Wood and Gil Kane and all these these great stories, and they're just fun. And I was this was, you know, the mid '60s, so I mean, spy stuff was blowing up, and mm-hmm. you know, it was it was. Very cool. And I have found that, you know, comics can do that. They can really get you through some, some, some tough stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, we, and by we, I mean, Rob, uh, since he's the one who has actual you know, artistic talent in this collaboration. Um, uh, we came up with the idea of doing a t-shirt illustration months and months ago uh, that had, you know, a picture of Mjolnir uh, and, you know, engraved on the side of it, instead of saying, you know, whosoever be worthy shall possess the power of Thor. Uh, it says, stay inside and read comics. Well, did so- you, I'll take one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You Double yeah. X. I like that Heather Gray kind of thing. Yeah, you know? there you go. It, it's <laughs> on its way. But uh, yeah, it turned out to be uh, bizarrely appropriate for these times. We've been doing a lot of that is just staying inside, reading comics. Um, and, yeah, you're absolutely right. We can get through some pretty rough stuff if we got a big enough stack
2: next to us. Yeah, I've proven that for at least 40 years. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, at some point along the line, you, uh, you made the jump from being a fan of comics uh, to actually writing comics. So, how did that all come about? Um, one of my very best friends from college, and still to this
3: day, was raconteur Bon Vivant Bo Smith who is uh, from right in this area. We went to Marshall University together. Oh, wow. And he saw. Me, he looked over my shoulder uh, in class one day when I was supposed to have been studying and was reading a comic. And his quote was, I figured, yeah, I could cheat this guy out of some comics. <laughs> We've been friends ever since. And, of course, Bo got into comics by being a letter writer. And he struck up friendships with a lot of people in the industry and uh, connected me with those same folks, and they became good friends. Uh, Tim Truman, uh, Chuck Dixon, um, Flint Henry, and a lot of folks like that. So it was kind of cool that I had people like that in my corner, you know, trying to to find gigs, you know, for me. Uh, which, in case you are not familiar with the comic book world, that's how this industry works. <laughs> yeah. back then, it still does. Um, and so I started doing some stuff with Dixon i uh I co-wrote uh an issue of Green Hornet with him for now comics uh issue number ten, believe it or not uh with uh Todd Smith did the artwork and we uh, we wrote this the first part of a, a two parter called the Huntsman we set up all these cool bad guys, and you know they were basically doing the old you know hunting for people thing and so Green Hornet and Cato decided yeah we'll get in there. And they didn't ask us back to do the second issue. I don't know if we were behind or delayed. <laughs> um, but through Chuck and Bo and, and, and Tim Truman, I can't give enough credit, to Tim. Um, I got a gig uh, with Eclipse. I uh, did a mini series called Blood is the Harvest. Not my choice of title. Um, but it was just kind of a, a fun run. And then did some other stuff for, for now. Uh, ended up doing a mini series called Green Hornet Dark Tomorrow, which was one of my favorite things, which was a set in the future you know two generations from now kind of deal um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun, got to meet all kinds of cool people, have all these great experiences went to the d c uh Christmas party one year with with Dixon uh, and got to meet people and you know who I had been lifelong fans of and, and just were inspirations to me. Archie Goodwin was, was a oh. huge ooh, inspiration. Archie Goodwin was one of my favorite people in the world and encouraged me, but at the same time, was very realistic and, and is the, and very prophetic because he said, look, you got a wife and kids and you're living in Huntington, West Virginia. I said, he said, this is a very tough gig to freelance in comics. If you're not coming to New York, every two weeks, every three weeks, hanging out for, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. It's, it's tough to get gigs. He didn't sugarcoat it. And then he's exactly right. That was kind of a, kind of a a tough, uh, a tough thing to keep going. So run through the 80s was fun. Um, And, uh, and it gave me a really nice foundation for, when it came time to to start doing like the graphic novels and and the other
1: stories. Um, Speaking of uh, writing Green Hornet for now comics, uh, did you ever know Ron Fortier? Oh yeah. I mean, just not in person. I mean, I, I, you know, through, through conversations. uh, I knew him when I was a teenager, uh, just through the convention stuff. And he wound up being an editor at this very short lived black and white publisher uh, in Maine called, Alpha Productions uh and he bought my first comic book story off of me. Uh there you go. So yeah, at 15 years old it's my first and so far my only. Uh <laughs> but I got paid 30 copies of the issue for it. So <laughs> it, it, it's so funny the first thing I ever sold
3: that I got paid for uh was uh a concept I came up high concept called King of the USA which was an alternate history concept that you know, because there was a time when the Continental Congress was kicking around. And yeah, do we really want to do this democracy stuff? Maybe it'd be best we just set up our own king. And so that's what King of the USA. Well, fast forward thirty years, I ended up using the premise for the Adventure Zone when I when I did uh, Commitment when I GMed Commitment. Yes. So hang on to all those ideas, kids. <laughs> but I got paid for it, and I still got the check in a prank. Well, not the check. I needed the check. <laughs> but I got me the check in a frame, but it was never made because right after that eclipse went belly up. But that was my first sale. And I, I I've never
1: forgotten the thrill that that, that gives you. It is. It, it's a it's a really special thing when the first time that you create something out of your head and someone says, "Yeah, that's worth something to me." <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good feeling. So, uh, also talk about your writing career. So I have it in my head that you wrote for Wizard magazine. Uh, I thought I remembered hearing that somewhere, but the internet's not backing me up on that. So
3: most of most of the stuff that I did, uh, I, I, uh, the oh gosh, what was the uh, comic book, the newspaper, the Comics Buyer's Guide. Comics Buyer's Guide. I contributed to them. I, I wrote some stuff. There we the, go. Uh, I don't think I officially wrote for Wizard, but I did. I wrote uh some letters to Comics Buyers Guide and a couple of articles that ran Don and Maggie.
0: Yeah. Right? Awesome. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: And uh and and they were they were great, but you know, that wasn't a paid gig.
0: No. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> but I did I I did enjoy it. And and yeah. so yeah, that was that was the about the
1: extent of, of that. Um was your was your Wizard magazine uh career limited to writing letters to them suggesting that Glenn dancing should play Wolverine and the X-Men. Movie. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I did. I,
3: now I think about it now. I, I, i this sounds terrible. Um, but I also, I did some kind of blog for them. I'm now seeing now you did this
0: to right?
3: <laughs> Now I'm going to have to try to remember what all that, what all that was. You know what? I just, I have always wanted a, a creative outlet. um, and when I, when I worked mornings on radio, we were a very bit heavy, character heavy, because that's, you know, what I enjoyed doing. And so that was, a, you know, an output for a lot of my, you know, creative juices and stuff. But, you know, I'm I'm a, a doomed writer. I, I, I no, you know, you can't see it, but I have a gigantic file cabinet that is full of everything I've ever written. Everything. Bad ideas, good ideas. And every so often I'll go in there and pull something out and work on a little bit. And I've found that a lot of the, the stuff that I, I now get to do, a lot of it comes from, from those ideas. So like I, I wasn't joking before, everybody, when I said hang on to all your stuff. The stuff that you write from the heart, the stuff that you write because it has to get out. It, it, whether, you, whether or not you sell it, whether or not anybody gives a rat's patoot about it, the stuff that you have to write because you have to, that's the best stuff you're going to do.
2: That's great. I think that's what we have learned from, certainly from Stan and Jack, <laughs> as we read through all of these comics uh, in the Silver Age, It's uh, and then understanding the, where Stan's recycling all of these characters from the Golden Age and recycling, <laughs> like even like uh concepts ideas names whatever it is storylines and and that is really uh that inspired me right away with music where i just started doing the same thing i have i have notebooks full of bad lyrics and uh and chord progressions and you know little i have like old you know tapes from my four track recorder sitting here um I dust off that, we call it the graveyard or the junkyard. And then I put together new songs from those chunks with my friends. And that's uh, what I've done, you know, my whole life too. So that's, that's good. It's affirmation to this uh, idea of recycling. Yeah. And and listen, don't stop. Don't Don't. stop. Oh, I don't think I could. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank
1: you. (laughs) So you've, you've had, you've been working on these ideas for years and years and years and then fate takes a funny turn and all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity to write and publish some uh, some graphic storytelling. So uh, you did the adventure zone graphic novels, which I know. So uh, what is the the process exactly? So I, I think it's, the books are credited to all four of you, but how does it work yeah. like from a,
3: yeah. Well, the way that we started and the way that we, we still do it um, is um, I actually take a I listen back to the, to the, to the particular art that we're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and, um, get it transcribed and then really sit down, write, uh, an, an in-depth, uh, outline, take the outline. And once the outline gets hashed around, um, and the outline hashing around has uh, gotten bigger and bigger as we've, as we've gone along. Um, i I was more or less the cut and paste guy that you know just kind of laid things out, came out in an outline, and the yeah. process that we use is uh the outline goes to all four of us mm-hmm. uh, and everybody works uh on it uh we we use Google docs and so you can put comments right there on you know make changes make edits uh and then I do a layout mm-hmm. uh, I more or less do panel layouts, page layouts, just to kind of give us a, a starting point. Uh, and then, uh, rough pass it dialogue. And then we start refining it. I send it to Travis, Justin and Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make changes, they make additions, they make deletions. Uh, we work with, uh, uh with our, our, our editors, the folks at first second are just amazing. Uh, they, they, Calista Brill and and Allison Wilgis and and those folks. Ali's a terrific hands-on person. Um, and then Carrie Peach is it. it yeah. Honest to God, wouldn't happen without Carrie Peach. Um, and so we, the thing I think we're proudest of is how collaborative it is. Uh, but we make a lot of passes at it. Uh, yeah. and it gets to be where, what we all want it to be. And, uh, and, and that's kind of the, the, the way we try to operate just about everything, you know, in the business that, you know, and, in the podcast and everything else. But as the storylines have become more complex, um, and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're juggling a lot of different things, um, and so Griffin has gotten more involved. Justin's gotten more involved. Travis has gotten more involved. Allie has gotten more involved. Carrie has gotten more involved. And so it's, it's kind of evolved into a nice process. I mean, we're already uh, – three doesn't come out until July. I mean, yeah. July 10th or 11th. Um, and we're already starting. I, I'm not supposed to let any cats out of any bags, but <laughs> it would be a safe bet to say we've already, we are starting on five. So yeah, so it's it's very it's, it's a very cool process. It, it can be tense, mm-hmm. but any collaboration worth its salt is going to be like that.
1: Particularly, Adventure Zone is really fascinating because I mean, the original storytelling is you know it's incredibly collaborative. Uh, for three of you, it's very improvised, and then you take that and then it, you, you translate it into another medium, but it doesn't feel like you know, you're just transcribing the episodes. I mean, it actually has a story structure that's appropriate for comics storytelling. And, uh, and it just, it works out really nicely. And you still hear everyone's voice in it, which is that's, incredible. Yeah, That's, it, it has been a lot of work
3: because a lot of, I mean, let's face it. We basically took an audio medium. Yeah. Um, and I mean, with a lot of audio jokes, a lot of in jokes, a lot of family jokes um, and, and had to kind of make adjustments, um, you know, A lot of adjustments, Um, and not necessarily content-wise, but just things that uh, the guys are very conscious of. That doesn't work. That doesn't work in a visual medium. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't want to lose the the impromptu nature of it, the improvised nature of it, but we had to because it's a whole different story. And also, the the podcast of The Adventure Zone is about Clint, Justin, Travis, and Griffin playing this game. Mm -hmm. And then this story kind of took over. Yeah. Magnus and Taco and Merle. And the graphic novels are about those three and the Dungeon Master, played by Griffin. Mm -hmm. It's not about Clint, Travis, Justin, and uh, the other one. (laughs) <laughs> um Griffin, sorry. It's it's not about them. So that was that was kind of a change, but at the same time we we wanted to keep some of that flavor, so that meta kind of overarching thing that you still knew it was us. Yeah. And that's that takes that takes a lot of work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And uh, so you, you wrote uh journey into mystery or war of the realms, journey into mystery tie into the uh, the latest Marvel crossover, which I imagine for a lifelong Marvel comics fan must've been quite a thrill. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I've quite come down from it
3: yet. Uh, <laughs> it was so much fun and they were so will and everybody there were so terrific to work with. I mean, you had these four yahoos come in and, you know, you know. I will be honest with you. We did not want to use the A-list heroes, B-list, maybe even C-list. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we kind of picked D-list and below characters because we thought that would be fun. Um yeah. and and the uh, there was Justin wanted to use Aunt May. <laughs> she did. He wanted Aunt May to be a part of the team, um, because he envisioned this scene where they would hand Aunt May this baby, and she'd say, "I don't know anything about babies. I got be <laughs> when he was like 10, 11 years old. I don't know how to, you're assuming I know how to change a diaper. It was, it was <laughs> really funny. Travis wanted uh, them to um, pick up a babysitter on the street named Debbie. Uh, and we realized that that had some really bad total <laughs> <laughs> ship to it. Um, uh and, and the only time they said anything was we, you can't use Aunt May because she's going to be heavily involved in Spider-Man's storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they more, they, they gave in on everything. I mean, we, I mean, no kidding. I said, uh, we want to use all the Western characters. Yeah okay. All right. Oh, we want to use henchmen, just henchmen from all the different secret organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The only time they stepped in were uh, continuity things that we didn't know. Like when right. we first started talking, you know, we had a reference to them, uh, uh getting transported by shield. Well, at the time, we didn't know that Shield was going to go away, and it was going to right. be, you know, Agents of Wakanda and that kind of stuff. But they were they were absolutely terrific to work with, and and uh, Andre was such an amazing artist. Uh, Andre Lima Araujo, who who did the art, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, took this this goofy stuff that we described and <laughs> made it looked awesome. So yeah, that yeah. was that was an amazing. Amazing time, and I hope we didn't screw it up too bad.
2: Oh, it yeah. was brilliant! I had so yeah. much fun with it. It was a big breath of fresh air, and having—I just love it when Wonder Man, uh, Simon Williams, shows up in anything. Uh, so <laughs> having well, that's him, that's Travis's favorite character. <laughs> oh, really, <laughs> it really is. And and
3: once we wrapped our heads around the thing about him being a pacifist, we wanted to be honest with that, and and have him stick to it. You know, and Oh, listen, Travis has a whole Wonder Man miniseries that he wants to pitch someday. So <laughs> I can't tell you anything about it because he'll throttle me. But, uh, yeah, and and was just taking these characters. This is, all right, I'm going to let you know a secret because this okay. is that kind of relationship between the three of us. <laughs>
0: um,
3: and this is how early we, we were doing it. They, they said, um, we want to put uh, Miles Morales in your group. That was the only thing that they asked us. We said, ah, oh, who's going to know who Miles Morales, it was before the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We'll take Miles Morales. <laughs> and, and then the movie came out. And then, so then we said, man, we were geniuses for putting Miles Morales. in <laughs> 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 <Geniuses>. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the, when
2: you were saying D listers, I just kept going. I, and I also even think of Kate Bishop as uh you know, at a B-lister at least, but uh, oh, not, yeah. Just, just yeah. one of my favorite uh, archers and uh, that whole run recently. So having Miles and Kate Bishop in there were, uh, I would say, you know, thwarted your D-list plans, but um,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun.
1: And I can only imagine like from your perspective, obviously uh, you have raised the boys up right uh, since yeah, I, I mean, I heard Justin drop a Dr. Fate reference on Sawbones recently. So It's like, it's like okay, you know, it, as a dad to a seven-year-old, that's very inspiring to me. Uh, so, but it, but like, how much fun was it to write a comic, a Marvel comic, with your kids? It, it, it's like everything else we do.
3: Any, I, I am the luckiest guy on the planet. I get to tour with my kids. I get to do... Live shows with my kids. I get to write comic books with my kids. We went to Nashville and did a live show on the stage of the Ryman Auditorium, and we sang. We sang <laughs> in the home church of country music yeah. and did not get run out of town on a rail. Yeah, you know how how lucky is that? And to get yeah. to create these things and and to see them in public, interacting with people. You know, we used to, and hopefully will do again, a lot of cons, and just to see how much they mean to people uh, is is so rewarding and, and so heartwarming. Um, and listen, yeah, comics are a very big part of their lives growing up, and I got grandkids now, and
1: you know, we're putting comics in their hands too, so. Yeah, right on. Uh, well, let's go ahead uh, and, and switch gears and, and talk a little bit about uh, Fantastic Four 48 through 50. That's what we're all here to do. So, yeah. so uh, Clint, were you reading these issues as they were coming out? Bill? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I was. And full disclosure, Yeah.
0: not
3: a big Kirby fan. Oh, really? Okay, you got to dish not a this. Big, I was not a big Kirby fan then. I have come to appreciate Jack Kirby a lot more. Yes. Um, But I appreciated what was going on Mm -hmm. in those comics. I appreciated what they were doing um, with those comics. Um, uh, Like, you know, 99.99% of the planet, huge Stan Lee fan. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that they were doing things with comics... That, that really wasn't happening anywhere else. And, and let's face it, the Marvel age started with the Fantastic Four. I mean, the Silver Age of Marvel started with the Fantastic Four. And it was those things that really appealed to me. I mean, the ongoing storylines that tied together. It wasn't just, you know, every month Lois Lane almost figures out that Superman is Clark Kent and he has to figure out a new way to trick her. Um, or, or it wasn't like The Flash where every month some arcane science fact got used to save the day. These were real characters, and yeah, maybe it was a little soapy, and maybe it was, but it was effective, and the storylines were running through, and they acted like real people. Um, and it had my favorite character, and that was Ben Grimm. I think yeah. Ben Grimm spoke with our voice, he didn't look like us but referring to the antsy streeters and it's clobbering time. And, um, my all time favorite issue of fantastic four came after the three that you're talking about was 51, this man is monster. Um, but what they were doing, the, the, the concept, even then, even though I wasn't a gigantic Jack Kirby fan, it, it blew me away. The stuff that they, they were, they were doing, um, it, and, and little things like, they flew in a chartered jet.
0: Yes. <laughs> in issue 48, a chartered jet, which they were flying.
3: Yeah. Um, I. But they were so brilliant in the way they told stories. They were so brilliant in the way that they did things. I mean, for instance, they would finish a story arc halfway through the comic and then start a new story arc that you had to keep reading. You had to get – the next one. this comes from – you know, 48 comes – Starts off with them fighting Maximus with the Inhumans, and then halfway through it, they you know they go home. They you know they they interact with each other as they usually did. Um, make a lot of cultural references that you know, and you know, Stan was going, yeah, the kids will love this reference to Joseph Levine, <laughs> uh, and you know and 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 it was just you knew something special was going on and you had to keep reading it the um the page the 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 collage page of uh, galactus's ship i think that was in 48
1: no oh, no maybe yeah. that was in 49 49 yeah
3: mm-hmm. um you know these were just huge huge things going on and yeah. you knew you were looking at something special um i had the mindset this was kind of what was I, I have thought about this a lot and you know, not only when I knew that we were going to be talking, but just in analyzing stuff. I think the role of comic books in entertainment have have changed significantly. This is going to be the oldest old man line I'm going to say to you guys. but it was yeah. different back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, when i When I go online and see people griping and complaining about a comic book based TV show. I think, guys, when I was 10, we had the Batman TV show with Adam West. Yeah. And a little bit of Green Hornet. That was it. We didn't have 400 movies a year. We didn't have 400 TV series a year. And comics was it. If you were into superheroes, comics was it. And, you know, it... If you, really good storytelling, and regardless of whether or not I love Jack Kirby, these stories were compelling, they involved you and you know were psychedelic, which for you know somebody who is you know starting to slowly crawl out of puberty uh, was, was was kind of a cool thing. Um, but you know these were very important, very, very specific. Uh, to my my growing up, my cultural reference. Um one of my, one of my favorite moments in it and this is maybe not even politically correct, was uh they come back in 48 from Saving the World and and the Inhumans and, and Johnny lost Crystal and Sue's P.O.'d because Reed won't take her out
1: to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's something uh So we've been reading these all along and, you know, readings who have just gotten married at this point, like six months ago or whatever. And there's something that happens. I don't know if Stan had some trouble at home or something, but there's a switch that flips as soon as they get married. uh, Reed is just very, very abrupt with her a lot. Oh, yeah. He's a jerk.
3: He, yeah. he is a complete and total jerk. Sue is totally justified. I don't remember, I'm being honest with you, I don't remember if it's 48 or 49, uh-huh. but there's a scene where Sue comes in while Reed is looking at schematics and stuff, and she acts like she caught him watching porn. <laughs> <laughs> Reed! By yeah. God, he gets all cheesed up. Yeah, I mean, and he was just like a total, total jerk. But even yeah. back then, you could see that, that Sue was kind of holding everything together
0: um, yes.
3: uh, uh, but anyway forty eight I think introduced it there's galactus, a lot of stuff gets introduced galactus yeah. silver surfer yeah um, uh, one of my favorite lines, and I wrote it down so I remember it was was uh ben gets gets confronted by this guy and and talks about giving him a belt in the Labanza. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what that meant, but I knew that was probably pretty,
1: pretty cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's whatever. I, I think that's as far as they could go in with the code approving uh, the language. I think yeah. anything other than a Labanza might not have made it past. And, and I
3: still don't know what a Labonza is all these <laughs> years later. Um, but this was epic. I, even then, even in, in 48, what they were setting up, was basically God coming to Earth and saying, Yeah, everybody out of the pool, you know. Yep. Um, even though his costume colors were different, but I guess he's all-powerful. I guess he could change his costume colors if he wants to. Yeah, he to, tweaked enough. it a
1: few times.
2: Yeah, that first of uh, red and green thing was pretty uh, it, overly Christmas. Um, yeah. Yeah.
3: Reminiscent of Power Man, as you yes. were talking uh, yes. before. Um, I will say this. Um, um, I think that Joe Sinnott, the anchor was the best anchor of Kirby stuff. Yeah. Um, later on, Steve Rood was an incredible anchor. But I think that, that Joe Sennett really softened a lot of the edges. Um, listen, you cannot downplay Kirby's dynamism. Mm-hmm. Kirby brought energy, explode. You were exhausted after reading a Jack Kirby book. Um and I don't know if you guys read all three of these in order, but I was wiped out. I needed a yeah. shower and I needed to sit out on the front porch while it yeah. rained to kind of come back down to earth. But that's something that Kirby brought to it, this incredible dynamism, and it just exploded. I mean, he didn't care about, you know, panel borders, you know, and, and his experimentation with stuff, um, just the, the energy um, uh, of what he did and I mentioned the collages before, and I know he wasn't the first to use collage, um, but the way he used it was just remarkable. And literally, how many times, I know they want this, but how many times you read a comic today and you look at a page and you go, oh, geez, I've, you know, I've never seen that before. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it happened all the time. Yeah. So, in context, yeah. I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. But they they were setting up something that nobody else was doing. Nobody yeah. else, not even within the
1: same company, um, was doing the same kind of stuff they were doing. Absolutely. Um, going back and rereading this recently, was there anything that jumped out at you uh, that either you you hadn't noticed previously, or you it, it took on a, a special emphasis or a special meaning? Kind of revisiting it. Yeah. Um, uh, like one of the things that like, for example, that jumped out at me, um, when I was going back through these is, is what an incredible job the story does of, of just building this mounting sense of terror and dread, you know, you've got, you know, it opens with this apocalyptic image of fire in the sky, um, and then you know just and then by which time, goes away you, almost immediately uh but then you see like you know here's here's the the vision of what's going to actually happen to earth if galactus succeeds and it's like oh he's gonna boil all the oceans away and then you know he's gonna start like vaporizing cities and you know eventually nothing's gonna be left but this husk and like jeez yeah and yeah. and like i said nobody was doing that yeah. i mean nobody Nobody was even,
3: nobody, I'll put it this way, nobody would have the audacity to have done that, except for Stan and Jack. I mean, yeah. really and truly. Um, things that kind of jumped out to me kind of were little things. <laughs> the fact that they, they right in the middle of this, this giant threat, um, they stopped to shower and shave, reach, mm-hmm. you know, shaving and... And everybody's saying, what in the world? Well, you know, you know, the world's not gonna be destroyed immediately. Let's <laughs> you know, let's let's look to our ablutions. Um I I I it was kind of funny in 49 when all this stuff was going on, they basically I I was very uh reminiscent of the fact that they basically had a stay-at-home order going on where they told everybody yeah. not to leave their homes, and that kind of resonated, you know, with yeah. me for, for what we were doing on. Um the I think that I'm a jaded old man now and I've seen a lot of stuff. So some stuff, and, and believe me, there was no cynicism when I was watching it, before when I read it before, when I read it, what, God, what, 40 years, 50, 40 years ago. Um, but the fact that Ben knocks a silver surfer off a roof and she falls in through the window of Ben's girlfriend. Yeah. What? Oh, okay. Yeah, I think there is something like thirteen million people that live in Manhattan. <laughs> but hey, you know what? Good storytellers, you get caught up in that, hmm. and you are not going to worry about it. Um, yeah. And you know, the whole thing of of Alicia, um, I, I think that Fantastic Four was really informed by their secondary characters, mm-hmm. um, Alicia. Um, White uh, Wingfoot's one of my all-time favorite characters, and he appears, you know, in Fifty. Yeah, because they wrap it up halfway through Fifty, so Johnny can go to college. <laughs> I know,
1: <laughs> and I love the fact that Johnny going to college gets cover billing on Fifty on the
3: cover, yeah. a brown cover. <laughs> yeah, now, you didn't see a lot of brown covers. A cover that had a home, the, almost the whole cover is Silver Surfer. Yeah, and little inserts of Reed, and Ben, and Sue, and then a little insert down the bottom of and, Johnny goes to college. Yeah. So if you had just read forty nine, you rush down the newsstand to get fifty. You think, wait a minute, I missed an issue. <laughs> I missed the end of the world. I guess I, yeah.
0: I, I missed that. Yeah.
3: Um, did the the confrontation in fifty uh, between Silver Surfer and Galactus, uh, Galactus is almost Shakespearean. And, and, I mean, let's face it, Stan loved Shakespeare. He loved to oh. reference Shakespeare all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Excelsior. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, and but at the same time, characters were in three dimensions. Galactus, the Watcher described him as a force of nature. And so not exactly making Galactus sympathetic, mm-hmm. But a lot of reference to, you know, the ants under your heel and, you know, do you worry about the cow before you slaughter for a steak? And, you know, they they that's one of the things about Stan's writing was the fact that good guys had some bad to him. Bad guys had even – and here's the ultimate world destroyer and,
1: uh, you know, he's just – it's a living. Just yeah. what he
2: does. Yep. And he's what he
1: <laughs> yeah. He, even when, uh, you know, at the end of the story, when he, you know, he steals the surfers spacefaring powers from him, you know, and says, this is your punishment. He doesn't even seem mad about it. He's just like, Oh, well, you know, I understand. We've reached the end of our working relationship. here. <laughs> <laughs> and then Silver Surfer goes off to be a hobo, just kind of, you right. know,
0: <laughs> or
3: a
2: beach bum, I guess would be more yeah.
3: appropriate. Right. Um, yeah, yeah.
2: Check out this place. He's stuck. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know what? And again, referring back to what I was talking about where, you know, movies and TV couldn't do that. I'm not even sure they could do it today, but the battle between Silver Surfer and Galactus, movies couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. TV couldn't do that. Maybe they could do it today. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and there you ha- there it is laid out for you. It, 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 was, it was like nothing we had ever seen before. I, nothing I had ever seen before. Um, And even then I was reading a lot of sci-fi when I was, you know, I was reading Dune when I was like 11. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then, you know, Galactus says, yeah, you know, see ya. Um, And then you get this little scene that defines Fantastic Four and what appealed about Fantastic Four. Galactus says, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish. Um and Alicia rushes up onto the rooftop, rushes past Ben, runs right past him, and runs up to the silver surfer. Oh, you're all right, and everything else. Now for one thing, you know, it pisses Ben off. Oh, wait a minute if I can say it. <laughs> it bleeps Ben off and I wanted to say, she's Ben, she's blind, buddy. She's yeah. she's blind, she she didn't see you. Um, that defines that comic books as just as much as the big epic scenes too, because that led into 51 and an ongoing storyline of, you know, yeah. Ben, Hum, a monster who could love me. Right. You know, So even then Stan's sowing these seeds
1: uh, of what's going to happen. Yeah. I, your heart just breaks for Ben at the end of the story. Like they've, they've just saved the planet uh and it was you know could have gone either way um and then you know he's expecting like this is the part where we all get to finally relax and he's just so ready to believe that Alicia is just looking for an excuse to dump him like he, he just <laughs> yeah. he cannot believe he has any worth whatsoever to anyone um and yeah and, and somehow that hits just as hard as you know the guy who's going to boil all the oceans away
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: And, and and I want to ask you guys a question, because
0: yeah.
3: I know what I think. Um, the ultimate nullifier. <laughs> the ultimate deus machina. Yeah.
2: When you guys read these three issues
3: for this podcast, had you read them before?
1: Yeah, I'd
2: read them in annuals, I think, as in my teens. But, yeah, I, yeah. I, I
1: had uh, the Marvel Masterworks that came out in the 90s, so I think that's where, okay. where I first saw it. Yeah. See, I think it worked. Why do you think it worked? I know yeah. I'm, I'm the interviewee, but <laughs>
0: I'm
1: kind of curious. So using like a professional wrestling logic, you have to figure out a way to defeat Galactus without making him appear in any way weak or anything like that. So, and you know, So you have Johnny, who's basically just being used as a puppet of the Watcher. Right. You know, this, Who doesn't awesome. get involved. Who doesn't get involved, <laughs> sort of not, yeah. <laughs> except he always does. <laughs> he he
0: really wants to.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he was basically dispatched, he, he didn't really have any agency in it. He just, he got the thing he was supposed to get. He brought it back, and then it, it allowed them to beat Galactus without ever actually beating Galactus. So, right. And, and yeah. Johnny earned it. Yeah. Yeah. He looks like
2: he's gone through hell. Like, it's the first yeah. time I've seen Johnny... I've I started to respect Johnny in this arc yeah. uh, because normally we just make fun of Johnny as like he screws up everything and he's the dumb kid on the team at least especially after reading all the strange tales um, right we've read in the last <laughs> year uh, but uh, no I think it, the ultimate nullifier works because it's uh, we're already working on a, at a cosmic godlike scale that you can barely comprehend so anything is possible and they make it that actually seems like a believable solution when you're talking about the watcher and galactus and a, you know a being that's going to munch on the planet it's just yeah uh, you, you know you, you can you can pull out a a weapon that he understands no no human should have their hand on and uh, yeah. and he's like i'll leave if you just put that that gun down that's a bad gun don't use that thing um and that's it they earned it this uh, Stan earned it and, yeah, and, yes. and Jack
3: earned it not not just Johnny earned it Stan earned it because they had to go through all this stuff in my opinion and this, this maybe this says a little bit more about me in remembering this story I thought as I remembered it 40 years ago that Reed had built the ultimate nullifier oh. and I wonder if that wouldn't have happened had that story been written today or in the last 10 years. Right. But, but the fact that, you know, and I'm, I misremembered it. That was not, he didn't. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I guess I always, I think all these decades look back and say, well, that was a great story, but you know, you know, Reed comes up with this amazing because they used to do that all the time.
0: (laughs) Right. Right.
3: He would work up a sonic disruptor or Reed would, you know, you know, would would come up with with their own Deus Machino, which is justified, you know, for the super scientist thing. Sure. But it made me appreciate these stories, these three issues so much more. Um, because I went, Oh, right, yeah, that's right. Johnny had to go through this quest. It was Mm -hmm. again epic storytelling. And and I and I think they earned the ultimate nullifier.
2: Yeah, and the the bands of unlife um, that concept of unlife. I remember another, we, we just met in, in Dr. Strange, uh, a few episodes ago, eternity, the, Mm -hmm. you know, that sort of manifestation of personification of eternity. And I remember reading that in an annual, I was talking about this. It just, it blew my mind as a kid so much. Uh, you know, I'd had a lot of sort of, christian stuff thrown at me uh you know as you do in in america and then i started to think about these other things and it said it certainly sent me on this quest of like uh, understanding other religions and cultures it was like almost unlocked anthropology as a concept to me because i had to start thinking about something so abstract uh and that this story does this uh left and right i mean just the Inhumans alone would could start to shake your idea of what reality is. But then you get Unlife and Galactus and Watcher and Ultimate Nullifier. And, and, and I don't
3: know if they
1: ever went back to the Unlife concept. Did they ever? I think it's one and done. I don't remember it ever showing up again. It's just like, yeah, here's a weird unexplained thing that exists somewhere out in the cosmos.
2: <laughs> uh, good luck, kids. <laughs> I th- I thought it, uh, some reason, like with the Eternals or the Celestials in some way, I th- Thought it may have come into play, but everything just like this hazy stew of comics mishmash in my brain. So uh, it's yeah, hard I love to I <laughs> um, But the the beauty of fifty to
3: me, even more so. You have this humongous battle. You have this fights, all this stuff going on in thirteen. Freaking pages! Mm-hmm. Thirteen. It would have been a thirteen-issue mini-series today. They did all this in the first half of the comic. Yep. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> remarkable uh, yeah. to me. Um, and nothing feels rushed. There's this great flow to it, and and then you've got another, you know, whatever, ten pages of Johnny going to college and. <laughs> You know, um, meeting White Wingfoot and some, you know, bald-headed dude that never got a name who was no. the big bad of the next episode. Um, you get this Friday night lights scene of a college football team with mm-hmm. people who don't even know who they are. Yeah. There's yeah. a whole page, and you're going, who's Coach Wait, What What? <laughs> yeah. Why are we all of a sudden watching a football <laughs> team for a page? because yeah. nothing is more riveting in comic <laughs> than in football.
1: Um, well that was the whole premise behind Kickers Incorporated, right? right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so
3: uh, one of my yeah, and that was that was that's kind of why we did what we did with the, <laughs> the Marvel Tales of 1001. I did prove one thing, Jack Kirby could draw a mean sports car. Yes, he could. That car was awesome. And also back then apparently they wore ties to college. So they got out of that before I (laughs) started. And this might be where Sue catches Reed watching tech porn. I think that
0: might, might yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a few, there's a few issues where Sue is just on Reed's case for, I mean, for reasonable reasons, like he hasn't shaved or eaten for a day, you know, and that's just an ongoing thing from now. Uh, I, the thing I was thinking about with the college, uh, so we, yeah, we hit this, like the world is saved and now Johnny's sitting, there's a whole thing with him when he meets Wyatt Wingfoot. he's just sitting at the desk listening to the Dean talk to them and he's, uh, (laughs) but, uh, so that seemed super mundane. And then, but Johnny's, uh, thinking about this cosmic experience he just had. So he's got like PTSD. He can't pay attention He's wondering if he can even go to college after he's been to the far reaches of the universe. Uh, And that's another thing that Stan does. He just like twists these. He took us from there to this mundanity, like the coach, the whole football thing. I'm like, what in the hell we're ending this whole arc on this. And then somehow (laughs) I got back on board the minute Johnny started, you know, having a little bit of a freak out while he's sitting in the Dean's office. Uh, It, that's that's the weird way that Stan uh, knew how to thread these things, as you're saying. You know, this episodic idea. He was a
3: genius. I know that's not a big surprise to anybody, but a casual reader knows it. But when you really tear into it and really get into it, Stan was a genius about this stuff. Maybe the greatest comic book writer ever, yeah. um, because he understood. You know, I'm not saying that he always knew and I think, you know, he had misfires and misses, but Lord, by this time, Fantastic Four, he was hitting his peak. This was yeah. his wheelhouse. Um and and you could just you knew you were watching Genius. I know I'm really babbling on, but you know, well, I'm really going on a limb. Stan Lee That's was a good writer. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's the kind the of insightful
2: opinions you expect on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we we just like the affirmation too, um, because uh, we also get Stockholm syndrome from reading all these things. We we start we have people come on and start to point out, you know, all the non PC issues and every other problem uh, that happens in these stories, and we are like, oh yeah, I guess we kind of glossed over that because we've read. You know, a few hundred comics now, starting with Fantastic Four number one. Uh, but we also get to contrast Larry Lieber's writing, like with Ant Man, with what Stan's doing. Sure. And you can, and which Larry Lieber's more atypical of a DC story or something where it's just random nonsense to move this plot along. That's the plot is, you know, you could throw darts at a few notes on the wall and put this plot together. Uh, but Stan's, that so yeah I've gained this appreciation for stan I I gained an appreciation for jack just because uh of everything he invented visually with these this stuff um yeah. but yeah he was not my my favorite artist before uh and he's I've just started to um especially now seeing him inked by Joe Sinnott, uh it's just so clean uh but yeah when as we see Johnny Severin and and Wally Wood and and these other uh, artists pop back in that aren't Don Heck. Um, you know, just, it, it's so great.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, it, you know,
3: it, this is when you, when you get more of a perspective, you you become a little, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm not the commercial that I seem to be. <laughs> um, I, I think after spending the years that I have, you know, in this most recent time of, of, of comics and being as involved as I am, When I was a kid reading comics and I'd go, Don, heck, oh Mm. boy, you know, Herb Trimpey. I was not a Herb Trimpey fan. Um, But, you know, if you look back even now, they looked like they looked. They had a style. They had a way Mm. of of doing it. There was an artist uh, that worked for DC that I couldn't stand, Mike Royko. And it's like every time I turned around, Mike Royko was, was, you know, drawing another comic that I used, used to like, (laughs) but you know what, the, you know, what, what you said about going back and, and, you know, the political correctness and stuff, that's, that's a big thing to me. I think, I don't think you can consume older media in a vacuum.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, You, you can't, you can't apply to Dr. No. The same standards that that you're going people are going to apply to you no know, time to die
0: mm-hmm. it
3: it's not fair to the creators and it's not fair to you um, and as somebody who was around back in those those you know fifty sixty years ago um, I don't criticize people for doing that I feel kind of sorry for people who do that I think they're missing out on on some good stuff. They're missing out on, on stuff. Just like you have to read with a certain mindset, fantastic four, 48, 49 and 50.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
3: And, and you, you can't, you know, uh, apply today's standards to what was, was, was back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And really good writers are going to suck you in no matter what. Mm -hmm. Really good artists are going to suck you in no matter what. And and people should feel good about that. People shouldn't let
1: that happen and, and not, you know, not worry about it too much. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. I mean, from the first episode we did, um, when we talk about each month of comics, we always start with, here's a little historical context for what was going on in the world at that point, just to kind of remind everyone, you know, that, it was a long journey to get where we're at now um, and you can't just take this stuff for granted. Um, you know, it, like it was really obvious that in the early to mid sixties, Stanley really wanted to write about the civil rights movement. Uh-huh. Um, he also needed to sell comics in all 50 States in the country. <laughs> and there are some folks who might not have, been super enthusiastic about carrying a book that they saw as being overly preachy or an attack on their values and so he came up with the X-Men and he just came up here's here's a different class of people who I can get all these concepts across with um, but it's not going to it's not going to automatically uh, turn people off from wanting to hear what I'm saying and that you know right. maybe if, if they sit with it a little bit maybe some of it's going to filter in and might change the minds. So.
3: Yeah. And it, and it did, I mean, it, it really did. It had that effect and you know, and, and at the same time, um, last year my wife and I, uh, along with, with Travis, got invited to the Stanley tribute that they did the TV special. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Yeah. We were in the audience for that. They didn't use any of the cutaways that showed us in the audience. <laughs> um, but that was a very heavy emphasis when Ming Na came out and, and and you know that showing specific stand soap boxes and, and stuff. You know, you've got to respect a guy who said, you know, we've got to address these things. We've got to, you know, play with and the X-Men, such a brilliant concept. When you guys work your way up to nineteen seventy five, mm-hmm. please get me back to talk about giant size X-Men number one.
0: Oh, because- absolutely.
3: That was the comic that got me back into comics.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: you know I you know, in college, you know I didn't have very much fundage. I kind of you know moved away from it and picked that up. Um, and um, it was extremely impactful to me, but you're exactly right, that's how Stan wanted to address it. And you know today, I, I think that that's what is, is spawning the resurgence
2: of X-Men. Yes. is dealing with that very thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's too, it's too bad it has to be topical again, <laughs> but it yeah. but it's good to have the, this medium to bring people along. Yeah, it's uh, it's we always But it would
3: be nice to have one of those characters punch somebody in the Lebanza.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah, I do. I agree about the about Ben Grimm. I, I think he he speaks the the truth of the the uh, blue-collar everyday human being. Uh, yeah, or as odd as he looks. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I don't think we're going to find a better note to end on that. Uh, we <laughs> then Lobanza, Lobanza, and also, uh, yeah, we've been recording this, so Clint <laughs> promised to come back. What?
2: on. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, we just have uh, to keep the show together until we get to 1975. That's yeah. Uh, well, I think we can know, do that.
1: Well, I'll come back before if you want me. Uh, (laughs) Oh, sweet! All right, we're going to hold you to that, Clint. Thank you uh, so much for making the time to chat with us. This has been an absolute delight. We really appreciate it. I listen. It was you got me talking
3: about you know outside of my family, my favorite thing in the whole world, Um, (laughs) um, because it comics are important, and I mean they are powerful. They are still evocative. They are still mind expanding, um, and you know it's. It's modern mythology, folks, and 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 done right. When it's done right, it can uplift, it can encourage, and you know, man, we could sure use as much of that as possible. I appreciate you having me on here, and uh, to let me say the word Labanza.
2: <laughs> I, I have a feeling you're getting paid for this uh, every time you say Labanza. Why
3: don't you make a shirt that says Labanza? I think
2: I think we need to now, and I would happily do it.
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, Clint, Clint I think it's almost impossible that there are people listening to this who don't already know all the other great stuff you do, but uh what can we pretend to plug for you here?
3: <laughs> um com is where you, you know, that links to, you know, everything we do, the live shows, the podcasts, um we are still podcasting, we're still turning out new stuff. Um I am doing a thing I I think outside of that, um, I for the last uh, 49 days of captivity, uh, I've been reading, uh, live stream reading on the McElroy Family YouTube channel. Started off, we did the entire wonderful Wizard of Oz. We did Coraline. We did a Sherlock Holmes story. and My wife uh, helps me out. We get to do that. We go on live 5.30 every evening. And we are wrapping up uh, Odd and the Frost Giants by Neil Gaiman. Oh fantastic. Yeah, it's a great book. So we would really like folks to tune in. A lot of folks have told us that they they play it back at night for their kids yeah. and themselves as a bedtime story and that you, nothing you can't beat that. That's yeah. that's pretty awesome. That's, that's how my good. kids learned, you know, about storytelling and everything else was reading to them at night. So uh that and you know, we're just still trying to
1: Brighten people's days, still trying to help them choose joy. No, You're doing a phenomenal job of it. Uh, yeah. Clint McElroy, you are a national treasure. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. I, is that a Nick Cage reference?
0: No.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
1: we're back here on marvel by the month uh thanks once again to clint mcelroy for making the time to chat with us uh what a blast it was he's he's such a gentleman um such a knowledgeable guy and his enthusiasm is just so obvious uh it was really you know i've had a lot of fun with this podcast that might have been the most fun part uh so far
2: um yeah yeah it's it was like uh having a history teacher that's super funny walking you through uh stuff you thought you knew really well uh just pointing out you know a few more things and 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 being able to joke about it when you do it was yeah yeah it, it, clint is awesome yeah. and so good on the mic yes he does have he does make uh remind me how unprofessional we are uh, <laughs> <laughs> well you know i think
1: once we put in another 25 or 30 years we'll be half as good as clint mcelroy yeah yeah true so yeah, um that's it for season 3 of Marvel by the month.
2: We've done 60 episodes so far. 60 episodes in the books. Can you believe that? I I cannot. And I I think I missed one cuz I was flying to Detroit, but yeah. uh so I've got 59 episodes in the books. Okay. Um <laughs> well, but- once you've had my experience, you'll <laughs> realize what an accomplishment that is. Oh, it it does it feels unbelievable. Like yeah. I I really thought, you know, talking about comics and then getting microphones in front of us to talk about comics Uh, might garner some attention. You know, we'd have like twenty friends that listen to it for a while, and then we'd go back about our business, crying. Yeah, crying so hard. (laughs) Uh, It's not going that way.
1: No, no. Um, and as good as things have been so far, like I am so excited about some of the stuff we have in the works for season four. Um, we've got. Some, some of our favorite guests are returning um, And it's always a delight To have them on um, And we've got some brand new voices That I really cannot wait to have on the show
2: Yeah, and uh, Thank you to all the guests who made Season 3 our best season yet uh, yeah. Many of them have been with us Since the beginning, since season 1 um, Noah Campbell Joe Keating, Levi Buchanan J.L. Watkins Dave Russ, Jamie Wenger Tom Chioli, Sean, baby, Clint McElroy, man, it's a murderer's row. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you
1: for listening. Um, Season three started, like we said at the top of the show, as the COVID pandemic was hitting, um, the world seems like a very different place now than it did um, before we started this thing Uh, and doing this show really helped us keep our heads on straight. Um, I really hope it provided a little bit of relief to you as well. Um, it makes me feel good to think that it might have.
2: Yeah. I, I really hope it, it, it acted as some kind of a bomb <laughs> for yeah. people.
1: There's a lot of heavy stuff going on in the worlds. Um, there's a lot of stuff we cannot and should not be looking away from. Um, but you do need to give yourself a little break every now and then. Um, and that's what the show (laughs) has been for me. Um, and hopefully it has been for you as well.
2: Uh, we usually spend a good 20 minutes before we start recording, uh, talking through, um, the various things we've been doing, the various things we've been posting on social media, participating in. There's a lot of, um, I would say great change starting to form, which is exciting.
1: Yes, absolutely. I'm, uh, Scared, but I'm optimistic, um, and I think it really just comes down to what is our level of commitment here. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, but we are in this for the long haul, um, both the serious stuff and the fun, dumb stuff of talking about comics. Um <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I hope that my kid winds up um, growing up in a world that is uh, a lot more fairer to. People who don't look like him. He's a blonde haired, blue eyed, as far as we can tell, straight, cisgendered white boy. Um, uh, I would like him to feel like that does not entitle him to anything. And also uh, that he knows it's his responsibility to um, treat everyone with kindness and respect and fight for those values.
2: Yeah, I, I have a I have a strong feeling that will be the case. I, and I'm, I don't know, I'm almost hopeful. It's so weird to say Yeah. Uh, that this is, this is such a big, weird change, but I, I hope that we, everyone can sustain the pressure to make some big changes in society.
1: Yeah. I guess I, I feel like if anything is going to change ever, this is the time when it's going to change. Yeah. So yeah. Um, buckle up. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in the meantime, we'll keep doing this fun, dumb little podcast, uh, and uh, letting uh, us and you catch a breath every now and then. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, a couple of uh, bonus episodes that are going to be coming up um, in the next couple of weeks that I think are going to be an awful lot of fun. Um, and uh, we're going to do uh, our our traditional, you know, season ending wrap up. Um, that's going to uh, summarize everything we talked about in the season in one episode. So. Sorry, you wasted all that time listening to each of them individually.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, I hope some people are listening to them for uh, our color commentary and not just the play by play of what happens in the Marvel universe. Yeah, because um,
1: there's a lot of stuff we just don't get around to talking about. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, true. we dropped the ball. I still uh, feel
2: like I spent 20 minutes um, talking about Craven in season two. When he appeared, <laughs> just talking about his outfit. It, it, it's quite a thing.
1: Yeah. You know, in between episodes, uh, whenever you are just trying to, you know, waste time on the Internet um, and lower your blood pressure, um, you can always find us on uh, marvelbythemonth.com. And hey, you can hit the Marvel by the Month shop there. Um, You can order yourself a Mjolnir Stay Inside and Read Comics t-shirt designed by Mr. Rob Milne. Yeah. Um, And uh, it has become a, a weird, timely rallying cry. (laughs) <laughs> um, so yeah, um, wear it with pride inside your house please. or
2: outside while you're protesting. I mean, Hey,
1: that works too. A little bit of a mixed message in that <laughs> it case, but definitely
2: yeah. is there. I still support you either way.
1: Yes. Um, you do you, um, uh, drop us an email, email us a voice memo, marvel by the month at gmail.com. And it may wind up on the podcast if you let us do that um our instagram is at marvel by the month um and you can find us on twitter at marvel btm um i'll just caution you right now um due to recent events um that uh, is not that active of a presence it's mostly just cross posting from instagram because twitter is a toxic swill um <laughs> so uh the less time i spend on it the better my mental health is but um yeah, uh, you, know, you can find us there We, we monitor it, um, we'll check it out uh, We won't ignore you So you can reach us there as well um, If for some reason you're allergic to email um, And you know You need to only express thoughts of 280 characters or fewer at a time um, But yeah um, I think that's pretty much it Thank you so much for sticking with us For three seasons of this nonsense um, I hope you come back for a fourth And uh, yeah, anything to
2: add Rob? Um, I'm just very, I'm looking forward to um, our our guests and our new guests that we are hoping uh, and trying to schedule for our next season. So um, there's a lot to look forward to there. And this has been already totally insane to have the people who we've had on in this season when we thought we were going to be, you know, again, talking to 20 people about comics uh, and quietly fading away. Uh, it seems so <laughs> It seems great and unexpected To to be doing better and better And having uh, more and more Interesting conversations too
1: Yeah, absolutely Well, um, I think Now uh, the only thing that remains Is for me to just say that For Marvel by the Month, my name is Brian Stratton, and mine is Rob Milne, and we hope you will stay safe Stay healthy, and stay inside And read comics